4: Of change. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, November 11th, 2011. IAQ Radio salutes our veterans out there, and we've got a quick clip for the veterans. What
0: shall be our legacy? What will our children say? Let them say. I was one in sharing the blessings I received.
2: Let me know.
4: We need to add a quote today, the country that forgets its defenders will itself be forgotten. That's from Calvin Coolidge. Welcome to IAQ Radio for episode 227 from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and we're back in the studio with the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Joe, it's always fun. Good day, Cliff. At the controls is our newest engineer, Valerie Bender. Hi. And backing her up is... Austin Stone Cold Novak. All right, today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question and interview with Lance Weaver, owner of Lloyd Systems. We're going to talk a little bit of HVAC cleaning and uh, energy efficiency and some innovative IAQ issues with Lance Weaver today. We'll have our halftime segment with Glenn Fellman and the IE Connections What's New segment and, of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow will be joining us for the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors, Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing for the restoration industry, for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at netclaimsnow.com.
1: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com.
4: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop, at johndon.com. CleanFacts
1: and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of
4: IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. I want to make sure I give a shout-out to Tom and Glenn at the John Don in Philadelphia. Had a great time with you there this week, and look forward to seeing you again next year. Let's uh, talk real quickly about we have the ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC continuing education credits. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
1: win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ Radio question every week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to c.slotnick@cs.com or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. Go out to John Lapotere, Microshield Environmental Services, Winter Springs, Florida, for being the first person to identify the Cathedral of Learning at the University of Pittsburgh as the tallest educational building in the Western Hemisphere. Let's go, Pitt. Mm-hmm. The IAQ Radio trivia question for Friday, November 11th, 2011, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the writer and painter who coined the
4: word robot. All right. We've got our trivia question. Let's do a little introduction of Mr. Weaver. Lance Weaver. Lance received a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering from the South Dakota School of Mines and 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 Technology. Technology. I've got an acronym block here. Um, In 1983, he is an experienced interdisciplinary project manager for products spanning from software to electromechanical appliances. He has managed several products from the idea stage through the product market life cycle, where three of those products have received Product of the Year awards. There are currently four patents pending for technology under development. He is also considered a national expert in indoor air quality with an emphasis on forced air systems and energy efficiency. Mr. Weaver has consulted in hospitals, biomedical research laboratories, federal buildings, and now buildings around the world. And they've got the equipment in over 50 countries now around the world. We've got a little uh, intro music for Lance. Go robot. Why don't you start this out? Okay. Uh, I know you and Lance go way back. Oh yeah. Lance, uh thank
1: you for joining us. It's it's great to have you.
4: We have you on the line first.
1: It's it's good to be here, guys. Great, good, good. Um do you attribute your mechanical ability, creativity, and business vision to your genetics?
2: I gave uh, some thought to that a a while back um, when I was uh, putting an article together, and I think it's probably a combination of both. There's kind of a big controversy on that, is it heredity or is it environment? Uh, My dad, as most people know, has been, and still is, at age 78, still developing um, a lot of different products. I grew up watching him develop uh, products to solve particular problems in the cleaning and restoration industry. Um, that type of an environment uh presents you and exposes you to multiple problems on a daily basis and I probably think a lot of my mechanical aptitude came from that, and as things went along, I developed an interest in in mechanical things and finally went on to get a degree in mechanical engineering and still tinker.
4: To date. Lance, have you always been interested in, in robots? I mean, obviously, I guess when you were in, you know, very young, ten, eleven years old, that would have been maybe the Lost in Space days. You know, had the uh, the robot on there. Did that always catch your interest?
2: No, actually, Joe, um, the. I, I was always interested in uh, drive systems and motors and things like that, but we didn't have, uh, back then, quite as good of robotics as they've got available today. I wish back then I would have had access to the Lego system. The 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 knowledge that's being passed on to kids nowadays is immense compared to what we had available. Nothing specific to robots, but I fell into it pretty pretty easily just because of the... My mechanical background.
1: You know, what exactly is a robot, Lance?
2: Well, the thing I like about uh, to describe a robot by is it's, at least from the industry we use it in, it's the best employee you could ever ask for. Never <laughs> to- talks back. It's never late. Never calls in sick. No workman's comp claims. Always ready to go at a moment's notice. And you can subject it to the worst conditions without... Even considering it being an issue with OSHA. <laughs> Good
4: answer. <laughs> Is it really? And when you first started doing HVAC, I'm not sure when did you first start. Was was your father involved in HVAC cleaning in his disaster restoration business?
2: He was actually. Uh, after I got my engineering degree, I moved away to Salt Lake City for six years and worked for a fire door manufacturing company. And I built the drivetrains for those. And I, that's probably where I cut my teeth on the drive systems. And I uh, moved back to Rapid City. There weren't a lot of engineering jobs in Rapid. My wife had chosen to bring her profession back this way, too. And it, Rapid's a good place. And uh, so along the way, I I, I kind of came back into the family business, which I had been in from birth and uh, agreed to help on some of the bigger duct cleaning projects because Dad had gotten into that and was starting to do some HVAC work. We had a, a prison job coming up, and during one of the pre-site inspections, I was just looking around. I mentioned to Dad that a robot would be really handy to clean and inspect some of the inaccessible sections because there were there were sections they wouldn't let you cut into the ductwork, and a lot of it was over hard ceiling and just impossible to get to. And he said, okay, how soon can you have that? And uh, basically, that was the first prototype, and I think it was the fastest one we ever built. I think we had it designed and built in one week. It was not our best design, but that's where the start was. That was in 1989.
4: In in the show introduction, I picked it up from an article about you somewhere along the way. I, I was... A little surprised to see that you had, was it you, you had designed or, or built the robot, a robot used in cleaning the HVAC and ductwork in the White House?
2: It didn't do actual cleaning there, uh, Joe, and I'm trying to remember what the date was. Not long after we miniaturized, because the first one was large and bulky, uh, after we miniaturized and got that down, I don't even remember who the customer was. One of my customers rented one, and yes, they used it to inspect some of the remote archaic ductwork in the White House
4: hmm. interesting now what, what let's you know we, we differentiated a little bit there between inspection and cleaning but why don't you fill listeners in a little bit more on, on what functions your firm's robots can do
2: well it's kind of evolved over the years originally the first units were built only to inspect and in hindsight, I should have designed the platform a little bit differently, but I had no idea it was going to grow into where it's at. Um, along, not too far down the road, some of the customers start asking for a small attachment that they could clean with an air whip, just a single air whip, and then that grew into a small air motor that could spin a brush. Well, we were very rapidly exceeding the capabilities of that robot. It wasn't meant to haul attachments like that. So we backed up, and about seven years ago, we took it back to the drawing board, started from scratch, and during that time, there was more than once I feared I was going to sink the company because the amount of R&D we kept pouring in and pouring in, but we wanted to make sure it was right. Finally, what we developed out of it was a microprocessor-based unit. In the past, we had just had a tether that had a single wire for each function, and every time we added a function, we needed to get a bigger tether. Pretty soon, it was bigger than your thumb. And that wasn't working, so by backing up, redesigning it, and going to a microprocessor, basically there's a computer on the controller and a computer at the robot, and we just pulse communications back and forth between the two. Hmm. Um, analogy on that: basically, we went from a a one-lane uh, bike path down to uh, or up to a six-lane interstate from a communication standpoint, and we reduced the tether down to less than a third of the size it was originally. The nice thing about that type of a platform is as we grow and as we come across unique situations, all we have to do is rewrite the code instead of supplying a different tether or redesigning the whole robot. So Now now that particular unit has multiple attachments that just attach onto the robot basically with a single pin, and uh, that those range from air whips to spinning brush to rotating paint system to uh, one of the latest ones out of R&D uh, designed a system for a company in Norway that has a dry ice blat- blasting capability and has magnetic wheels to climb vertical walls.
4: It's interesting. Why dry ice blasting? I guess for, is, it, uh, is it for induct work?
2: inside duct work and actually they're doing a lot of work on some ships over that direction it it even got squeezed down this particular unit will work in five inch round and up and uh... they have a particular scale problem that only the dry ice blasting can take care of and in the past they were just cutting sections of pipe and replacing them and and now we can get in and and clean those up so uh, it just kind of shows that and again, this is with about the same platform that we've had over the last seven years. It's very, very versatile.
4: And how are these robots powered, Lance?
2: We've got two different sizes. We've got the smaller one, which is the MI 180, and uh, that's seven inches square and about three inches high. That is battery powered, good for about an hour and a half, and after that, you can plug it in immediately and continue to clean. There's no waiting on charge time. The larger unit, which is our Omnibot, that will tackle up to four and five foot square ductwork. That obviously is too large to be battery powered. That is a direct AC plug-in to the power supply.
1: Lance, what are the maximum operating distances between uh, the human operator and the device?
2: The standard package uh, comes with a 100-foot tether. That was a another nice thing about uh, reducing the size of the whole unit in the past. 50 foot was the furthest we could get in because the tether just got too heavy to pull. And so the standard package is 100 feet. Uh, it, that can be increased to 200 feet very easily for inspection. I've had some customers tell me they've gone three and 400. Um, voltage drop becomes an issue if you get too far out. Um, modifications can be made to the systems, and actually, to date, our longest, our greatest distance distance was a uh, cleaning and sealing of a vertical shaft in a forty-five story building that was done in in uh, two
4: passes. So you you clean. Let me uh, let me. I I lost track for a moment. A forty-five story building.
2: 45-story building lowered from above, right, and it was a six-foot square or six-foot by nine-foot rectangular shaft. And rectangular is a little more difficult to clean and seal, just because of the geometry of the way things rotate. And so that was cleaned in two passes, similar to a overlapping figure eight. And um, by the, it, it took a little to work some of the bugs out initially, but by the final pass, we were painting a floor per minute.
4: Now, what, what technique were you using for the cleaning?
2: Uh, cleaning was, it was a uh, soot uh, situation. Uh, there'd been a fire, and that central shaft had got all sooted up, and we used compressed air and air whips to knock the soot loose off of the cinder block, and then came back through and sealed it up with kills.
4: Okay, and there was some kind of vacuum Vacuum collection equipment, I'm sure, connect, you know, collecting the... Exactly, what, you down, right, down
2: at the bottom, so all the soot that got knocked loose, was, all those particles were captured down at the bottom, and then same thing when we were painting, uh, all the aerosolized particles traveled down to the negative air machines.
4: So I guess I'm trying to... We get, did that... good
2: I was going to say, we did that in uh, two and a half days in the uh, competition. I, I had helped a customer on this. The competition had quoted three to four weeks with a man in a bosun's chair. Wow.
4: Now I'm I'm trying to just kind of make sure that we give a you know paint the picture here on the radio for for the listeners. Um, essentially you're not you're not replacing some of the standard equipment used in HVAC cleaning. This is still all done using some kind of vacuum collection equipment. You're still using some kind of whips or compressed air or brushes, you're just assisting people at getting into more difficult-to-reach places, and, you know,
2: uh, okay. I was going to say absolutely, Joe. Um, basically, what the robots do is they allow you visual feedback. That is probably the key, the whole key to this. It, it allows you to document what you're seeing um, because the, uh, the um, control panel, uh, it, it's handheld, and it has a a remote control, um, has the remote control on it, but it also has a a video recorder that allows you to capture all the video that you're seeing to an SD card. And so that gives you documentation to give to the building owner, project manager, whoever wants to see it. But more importantly, I have seen so many projects where WIPs were used blindly on line ductwork and they just destroyed it because it was kind of a one, two, three, yeah, that's probably good enough. There was no visual feedback. With visual feedback, it allows you to adjust the air pressure and adjust your cleaning rate so that you do not destroy, especially when you're in line duct work.
4: Okay, great. Now, we, we talked a little bit about the uh, vertical duct runs, so you I, I, maybe you could explain a little bit more on the vertical duct runs, how you get the equipment you know to work on these vertical duct runs you you I guess is the tether strong enough that you can use that to lower or do you have to attach something else to it
2: the the tether is strong enough uh if you're just lowering the unit down into inspect if you're cleaning you've got an air hose hooked up to it and so you share the load between the air hose and the tether and then if you're sealing or painting you have a uh, uh, 3,000 PSI airless paint hose hooked up to it. So most cases, that's enough to share the load. For instance, when we worked on that 45-story building, no, I did not trust that to the paint hose or the air hose. We had a steel cable and a wench rigged up to lower that one down. that That's a lot of weight in 450 feet.
4: Well, I guess the nice thing there, too, is that you're not as concerned about about getting stuck or, or caught i mean it seems like it was a straight drop i'm sure there were things that could get caught on but what do you do when I, I assume at times these robots get caught on things and you've got to retrieve them how do you do that
2: most of the time uh... that's a non-issue with proper operator training uh, it's not to say that they never do get stuck uh, on occasion, someone will drive it up over or drive it up along a wall and flip it upside down. If it's in inspection mode and you have no attachments hooked up to it, it's designed to flip upside down. Your image is upside down, but you can still drive it and inspect. That was purposely designed that way. If you've got attachments on it, uh, we we have another kit that you can add uh, another set of wheels to it to make, make the base more stable, and when you're cleaning and painting, the you're progressing slightly slower than you are when you're inspecting. Um, You about have to purposely not be paying attention to flip it upside down uh, when you're in there working with it. But if it does, it kind of depends upon the surface you're on. If you're in line duct work, basically you'll need to cut into that area and remove it or at least upright it. Um, If you have extra robots, as some companies do, you can drive in and write it that way. I was working on a project with a customer down in Arizona, and one of the robots flipped upside down in uh, underground ductwork in a very expensive home. There was no way we were going to break out the concrete, the flagstaff floor, and do the concrete. But with uh, the help of two other robots, uh, we managed to get that right. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it, it rarely happens, but when it does, um, most of the time it can be rescued, corrected pretty easily. The tether's strong enough to take a direct fall off of a vertical. Again, you should be paying attention. Um, A good example I use, I had one customer send his robot back in and both drive shafts on the motors were bent. And he said, I have no idea how that happened. The first thing the repair department did was run the SD card and the recorded video showed it turning around, driving back out, and falling out of the opening that it had been inserted in and ten feet straight down to concrete, it bent the shafts. But other than that, the robot was
4: fine. Wow, Do, Cliff? Um,
1: is the are the robots capable of you know the ninety degree angles that you encounter, uh, you know, in ductwork, you know, going around corners and, and that sort of thing?
2: Yes, they are, uh, Cliff. It's just you have to keep in mind that if you start to pull a lot of corners, depending upon what the what I would call the coefficient of friction is across that corner, if it's a smooth corner. You can get away with it. If it gets starts to get rough and you start developing some drag, you get two or three corners, and the robot has the torque, but traction becomes an issue. It okay. just can't pull all of that drag behind it.
4: Gotcha. Uh, as I understand it, these all have a, a, a tether and that you don't have any wireless ones right now, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, have you looked at wireless, and why, if you don't use wireless, uh, why don't you?
2: Actually, that is a great question, Joe, and that comes up at trade shows constantly. Uh, everything we have currently is tethered. We're developing a unit for um, the, uh, the Border Patrol down in Arizona. And of course, they want it wireless because they're going to drive it, in some cases, up to a quarter, half a mile away from where they're at, and they can't pull that much cable behind them. And several several reasons for the tether. um the robot would be twice as big if we had to put a battery pack on the robot as opposed to now where the battery pack is in the handheld controller uh... another issue on that is just operator attention or not not paying attention at least now if you insert the robot in and you drive it in a ways and you really didn't check your battery level and you get in you're working on a project and suddenly it goes into it has a mode on where it flashes all the lights to warn you that it's about to shut down so that you can save your video. If, if you did that and the battery was on the robot and no way to retrieve it, there it sits. And, and so it, it's better to have the battery in the handheld unit. Uh, one of the other problems is if it was wireless, my customers would put it in the ductwork and they would just keep driving it and driving it and driving it. And the last corner they went around, they would lose reception and then they would be calling me asking me how to retrieve the robot so it's it's best that it's tethered and one final reason and i've seen this many many times in deep dark ductwork sometimes you'll be in so deep turning corners and all this and that it's kind of like cave crawling if you didn't have a yellow tether to follow your way back out you really wouldn't remember
4: your way back out Hmm. that's interesting now what I assume there's a, a tube of some type that goes along with this for the air and, and for the coatings. Um and do you use the the same tubing for both air and coatings? Do you have separate ones? You you can use the same
2: air if you're if you're spraying in some form of uh, disinfectant and I I know that's a that's a tough touchy subject in um uh, uh duct cleaning. Um, if, if you're putting in some type of water base, that can be injected down through the air system and applied through the, the air whips. But normally, it pulls a different hose behind it. Most of the sealing and painting takes place with an airless paint sprayer, and so you're pulling a small hydraulic hose behind
1: you. Cliff. Um, what's the investment for the system, Lance, or for the system's? on the
2: uh, smaller unit and that's the most popular that's probably eighty five percent of the sales that we send out the door the base unit for an inspection starts around five thousand okay. and then you can add attachments on however you want uh, a lot of companies will start out with a base unit for inspection and once they're comfortable with it and proving that that technology is actually improving their bottom line as opposed to costing them money then they'll move into some of the cleaning attachments if you add in all three of the attachments, the whips, the spinning brush, and the paint head, you have uh, between $11,000 and $12,000 investment. And uh, we did some, have done some calculations, and actually the return on investment is pretty quick on that if used properly. Uh, one or two jobs, the gain in productivity uh, will justify doing it robotically. <laughs>
4: You know we we've got we're almost at halftime. I want to get one more quick question in on the robots, and then after halftime, just let listeners know we're going to go into a little more on energy efficiency, just the HVAC cleaning industry in general. Glenn Feldman sent some real good questions on that, and uh, also I, I definitely want to get into your dust Down, uh program as well. But uh, before we do, what about um, waterproof issues, water resistant, chemical resist resistant issues? Uh, you know, how are these systems cleaned after they're coating, after they, after you do the coating?
2: The units themselves are mostly stainless steel, anodized aluminum, or a Delrin plastic, so they clean up very easily. In the paint system, we learned a long time ago to make it very easy to separate the electrical drive systems from the fluid systems, so they decouple very easily, and the cleanup is completely away from the robot. It's, a lot of thought went into that, and so cleanup, cleanup is very easy. The the most difficult would be is if you were using an oil-based paint, that would be more difficult to clean up. Ninety-nine percent of the chemicals that are used are water-based, and so cleanup is, is reasonably easy.
4: Okay. That's perfect timing. We'll go to our halftime. We're going to have an IE Connections What's News with Glenn Feldman, and then we're going to come back and go into those other topics I just described. When we get back, uh, Lance, can you hang on one moment?
2: Yes. Great. <laughs>
4: Our association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com.
1: The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org.
4: And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
1: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com.
4: And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com.
1: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Johndon,
4: and of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. We also want to thank our newest marquee sponsor, Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at www.net. Claimsnow.com.com and cmmonline.com. <laughs>
1: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. The occasional blip will occur. Let's
4: get uh, Mr. Feldman's music on here. <laughs> That's a- Yeah, that's Glenn right there. Hello, Glenn Fellman. <laughs> Hello. How are Hello. you today, Joe? We're, and Glenn? Great, we're great, good. Great. We're great. good. How about yourself? Thanks Let's, for joining us. What's news, Mr. Fellman?
3: Oh, thanks for having me on. Great show so far. You know, since I, I knew today's show was going to be uh, talking about HVAC system cleaning a lot, I called my colleague, John Schulte, the executive director of the National Airduct Cleaners Association, this morning, and I asked him if he could give me a scoop, and he gave me a great one. NADCA is going to be releasing a new guideline on chemical applications in HVAC systems at the NADCA 23rd Annual Meeting and Exposition, which is uh, March 19th through the 22nd next year in Puerto Rico. The guideline covers all sorts of chemicals that might be used or introduced in an HVAC system, everything from ozone to degreasers to the traditional antimicrobial products and coatings. NADCA describes the committee developing this guideline as a dream team. It includes contractors, attorneys, EPA representatives, environmental hygienists, and a host of other people. Again, that's coming out in March of next year, and it'll be introduced at the NATCA 23rd Annual Meeting. So, let's talk about some other things in November. Uh, November is uh, when Volume 13, Number 1 of Indoor Environment Connections, has come out. It's available online now at www.ieconnections.com, and that means this is our first edition in our 13th year of continuous publication, which I am very proud of. Congratulations, um, yep, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. On page one, you can find the answer to the following trivia question. Who invented the first hygrometer, and in what century? So if you go to our, our online edition at com. you can find that out. Now, why is that on page one? Well, because we have a story on page one about the uh, California Department of Health uh, paper that came out, which shows a strong link between mold and respiratory risks. In fact, it, in my opinion, one of the strongest governmental uh, papers or, or guidelines on health and IAQ and, and how they go together. Human health studies have, been, um, have led to a, a consensus among scientists, at least in California, and medical experts that the presence in buildings of either visible water damage, damp materials, visible mold, or mold odor indicate an increased risk of respiratory disease for occupants. And again, that's from the California Department of Public Health. Known health risks related to mold contaminants include the development of asthma, allergies, and respiratory infections, the triggering of asthma attacks, and increased wheeze, cough, difficulty of breathing, and other symptoms. Uh, it's a great uh, piece. You should read that one. Again, page one on IE Connections. Another article we have that I think is very interesting um, and maybe will cause people to pause when they think about the cash for caulkers programs and other weatherization um, programs that are now government-sponsored to seal up our buildings and save energy. The headline on this article, which appears on page 8 of our November edition, better ventilation can lead to substantial savings. Now, here's what the article says. Doubling the amount of ventilation in U.S. office buildings could potentially lead to billions of dollars in economic benefits, according to a new report. You know, the current standards for U.S. offices require about 8 liters per second of outdoor air ventilation per person. Providing twice as much ventilation would reduce sick building syndrome and absences, improve work performance, and save billions of dollars. And this is according to a recent study from the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. The study appeared in the journal Building and Environment, And it's called Changing Ventilation Rates in U.S. Offices, Implications for Health, Work Performance, Energy, and Associated Economics. It was conducted by Bill Fisk and Doug Black of Berkeley Lab. And um, they assumed a baseline for ventilation slightly lower than the current ASHRAE ventilation rate. But what I found really interesting here is the estimated benefits – include prevention of sick building syndrome in half a million workers, elimination of 9.4 million days of short-term absence, and an average of 0.03% increase in work performance. Uh, the benefits are the results of small increases in work performance, reductions in absence, and decrease in health care costs spread over a large population of workers. And then to quote uh, Dr. Fisk. Our study shows that the widespread benefits of increasing ventilation rates in office buildings far outweigh the energy costs by an order of magnitude. And increasing the use of economizers in more commercial buildings would retain the benefits of higher uh, 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 ventilation rates as well as result in energy savings. So contrary to um, what a lot of people believe and what a lot of people are doing right now in uh, in decreasing the amount of ventilation and fresh air that's coming into their homes uh, in the long term. It could cost them quite a bit more. So that's an article you read on page 8. And uh, just wanted to talk for a minute about some of the other things we have as features this month. We've got a piece called Breaking the Mold, where Carl Grimes gives us a piece of his mind about the issue of certifications and why they may not be all they're cracked up to be. Dr. Harriet Burge explains the effect of fungi and the role they play on sustaining ecosystems. Uh, Bill Turner, Fred McKnight, and Steve Caulfield discuss how energy audits can be a tool to reduce future energy use. Uh, Ed Chambers has an article on visual inspections, and he explains the role of visual inspection in determining what hazards are threatening the indoor environment. And then to round out our technical section this month, uh, Dr. Jason Dobranick from EMSL has an article on mold on wood, and he analyzes the effect of fungal growth on engineered wood and the implications for IAQ. You can read all that at www.ieconnections.com. That's what I got for you this week, Joe and Cliff. Thank you. Great.
4: Thanks, Glenn. Hopefully you'll join us for the roundup.
3: Absolutely.
4: Great. Uh, let's get Lance back on the line. All right, we've got Lance Weaver back for the second half. Lance, before we left, I said we would talk more about a couple of things, uh, one being the energy efficiency, duct sealing, et cetera. But I also mentioned a little bit about the HVAC industry, and we had gotten a couple questions in. You know, you've been around. You've seen the evolution of, of the duct cleaning industry since the early days when uh, things weren't quite done as they are today. Let's just say, and uh, up until the, the current, you know, state of the art uh, today that we've kind of described with your robots and the still using vacuum collection equipment. As this technology has evolved, have you seen contractors in the industry adapt? Um, are there still a lot of contractors in your experience using out-of-date methods and uh, cleaning techniques?
2: Absolutely, on uh, both points, uh, Joe. <clears throat> We obviously, because we're in touch with a, a lot of the customers that are willing to continue to adapt and grow and embrace the current technology. Um, I I would say that there's probably more of those than not. But I also know a lot of cust- a lot of uh, companies that have been customers in the past, and we don't hear much from them. They choose not to embrace the the newer technology, and a lot of them have fallen way behind and some of them actually just completely dropped out of the industry I I guess duct cleaning is no different than anything you really you really do need to stay on the front edge
4: you know there was another question that came in I want to use this to lead into your your energy efficiency discussion I know you're doing a lot with energy efficiency and improved indoor air quality and over the last well even 20 years I guess there's been um, you know suggestion that, that we don't have uh good science and research yet that cleaning hvac systems assist with indoor air quality and or with uh people's health in buildings. And in fact, it's been tough to find good good evidence that it assists with energy efficiency. Can you give us your overview of that issue and what your thoughts are on that issue if you agree that that, ener- that you know that that evidence is still coming, and uh, if you've been able to help add any uh, research evidence to um, show that what you're doing is assisting with energy efficiency.
2: Well, I agree. There's not been as much uh, research on that subject as there could have. Um, I think once uh, duct sealing and energy efficiency comes into play, there will be more of that because some of the larger companies that we've been working with, uh, one example of uh, Carlisle Hardcast. They've been a mastic sealant manufacturer for over 50 years, and they're aggressively developing sealants to be applied from the inside of the ductwork. I was just at their plant uh, two, three weeks ago, and they they built an entire lab of ductwork, and they were doing um, uh, testing to see what the um, uh, effectiveness is from from a sealing standpoint. The regarding the um sick building and 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 things like that honestly my feeling on that joe is as we go into the ceiling and we start looking at ductwork from a different viewpoint completely i think a lot of that is going to take care of itself because on a lot of these buildings once you prove a return on investment from a ceiling standpoint the duct cleaning it has to be done and so it will be done in the past we've tried so hard to prove some form of an ROI on the cleaning, and that's just not not been there.
4: Hasn't been coming. No, well, let me let me just again paint the picture because we have people listening on you know on the radio. They can't necessarily see what what you're saying or doing. You know what I mean. And and you're using the term sealing. Can you describe for right. us how you describe you know what your definition for sealing is.
2: Um, Basically, duct sealing is being able to seal up the leaks from the inside. Uh, Years and years ago, and we see this a lot in the older buildings, and a lot of the older ductwork is inaccessible. Most of the new ductwork nowadays, there's a lot more specifications requiring all the seams be sealed, so there's no leakage. In the past, that was not a big issue, energy wasn't a big issue. But on a lot of buildings, we've seen the returns on investment. Well, one one building in in particular, we did a a case study on a a 200,000-square-foot building out in California, and it was a 1950s Boeing building. This was in the aerospace industry, and it leaked like a sieve. And the problem is a lot of the engineers will say, well, that's not a big deal because that conditioned air is eventually getting into the, the space anyway. Well, it is a large deal because the if you're leaking conditioned air, whether it be cooled or hot, and and there's more energy expended with air conditioning, you're not meeting the demand of the thermostat. And if you're not meeting the demand of the thermostat, all of the systems run and run and run trying to satisfy that thermostat. It means some of this equipment is running 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 percent longer than it should be. You One know. of the other big problems with sealing is that if the equipment uh, is not not keeping up, you're leaking a lot of that air, you're not conditioning the space the way it, it should be, and most of the sealing calculations have been done just on pure energy. But there's a couple of other things to look at, and Glenn touched on that just a little bit earlier. What cost the productivity from a sick building standpoint? I know we've tried to quantify that from a duct cleaning standpoint i think we're going to get a lot better with it from sealing and then also recapitalization of the all of the hvac system a lot of these big chillers cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and if you're operating them at 50 percent more than they were designed for they're going to wear out prematurely but basically to get back sealing the ductwork is just sealing up all of the small screw holes the joints all of that so that when you deliver, say, 5,000 CFMs of air from the air handling unit, you truly get 5,000 CFM of air total combined coming out of all of the diffusers.
4: Now, I'm trying to picture this, Lance. How, what product are you using to seal the the air gaps in there? I mean, obviously there's gaps where the, the joints are, where the ductwork comes together. Like you mentioned, there are there are screw holes. There are <coughs> gaps like that. Can you describe a little bit for for listeners, how your system, or in general, how those are sealed from inside?
2: From the inside, number one, and this is why I think a lot of the problems with duct cleaning are going to correct themselves as we move into this industry that has a lot more money behind it and will have more money behind it. First of all, the ductwork has to be properly cleaned. Matter of fact, a lot of the bigger projects, we don't even refer to it as duct cleaning anymore. It's more duct preparation for proper sealing because the ceiling has a good return on investment. The robot will go down through there, and then you have the ability to seal it up from the inside 100%, depending upon the condition, or possibly stop and spot seal each one of the joints on the ductwork. Um, again, the, the, what, the main company we've been working with, uh, Carlisle Hardcast, they've been making mastics for 50 years. And so they took their formula that, had been smeared on the outside of ductwork with putty knives they reformulated it so that it can be sprayed through an airless and applied to the inside and this is very critical on older buildings because you cannot just get to the ductwork and seal up those joints like i said a lot of the older buildings were never sealed it was a non issue 40 50 years ago that the ductwork leaked now it is and so the robot will will run back out back out through the ductwork and spray the sealant on from the inside, and it it seals the ductwork up completely. And we've seen, on some of the case studies we're working on, as much as a 50% reduction in air leakage. That means now that you're develop, developing or delivering 50% more of the air that came from the air handler out to the diffusers. What happens now is that if a system is leaking and you're not delivering enough air to the occupants, usually a mechanical contractor or testing and balancing engineer will come in and just speed the system up to get more air out there. Well, that does two things. Number one, that actually increases the loss through the leaks, and it increases the energy consumption. That's what we've been doing for the last 40, 50 years.
1: Lance, how big of a gap can be sealed with that coating. That's what we're working
2: on right now. Anything eighth of an inch or smaller is simple with a single pass. Okay. Uh, we're working on some different formulations that are a little bit thicker and um, we've we actually have in some of the lab tests have been able to seal upwards of uh, 3 eighths of an inch. That's the maximum we're at right now. We're continuing the r and D. I'd like to be able to get a system up to where it doesn't matter whether it's a half inch or an inch. You're in there. You take care of it.
1: Right now, that technology does not exist, but it is being developed. Does the coating remain flexible? Because you know the ductwork is going to, I guess, change dimension slightly. You know, depending on whether it's cold or whether it's warm, expansion and contraction. Completely, Cliff. And there's actually
2: UL 181 uh, has a whole list of uh, stringent specifications that the the uh, chemical has to meet. And again, it's, it's designed by a Fortune 600 company that has been doing this for the last 50 years. Absolutely. And it's got every approval you could possibly think of um, for allowing it to be applied inside the ductwork. Uh,
1: just one other question. Please. Please. Uh, I just want, uh, I'm going to, just give you a word and then you can kind of uh ad lib to it uh dust okay dust <laughs> dust
2: that's actually something that my father's been uh, dealing with for many 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 decades he he actually refers to it as gold dust
4: gold dust gold i like dust. that uh, all right dust, yeah it, yeah
2: It needs to be removed out of a lot of areas. Uh, Obviously, it's a big problem inside of ductwork, but it's also a very large problem in other areas. Um, A quick example, we did some work with one of our customers on a large hospital up in Canada, and they were so concerned about migrating dust particles from a nosocomial infection standpoint, which happens during construction just from the building breathing, that uh, we designed some special equipment to be able to clean all of that out of all of the elevator shafts, all of the mechanical chases, all those areas that normally would get overlooked and that we refer to that as dust down, uses a lot of the same equipment but dust is a big issue not only just in the ductwork.
1: What about above uh, acoustical ceiling tiles? Is your robot so heavy that you could Is it too heavy to run above uh, acoustical ceilings? No, the smaller unit,
2: and we do that quite frequently, uh, again, that's another excellent example of, say, a wild return, a a plenum return. There is no return ductwork bringing all of that straight back to the filters. So all of the lint and dust and debris over the years passes up through the The acoustic ceiling settles down in there long before it ever reaches the return pickup. It never makes it to the filter. I have seen the tops of uh, acoustical tile half-inch thick with dust and lint and debris, and even if the ductwork is cleaned, all of the supply ductwork is cleaned, that's still a large source of contamination. And, yes, that procedure is done quite frequently where you can clean up the acoustic tile using this dusting procedure
4: Uh, can you describe how that how you do that Uh, because i know that's a huge issue for a lot of our our listeners they do you know hvac cleaning they do disaster restoration and they know that stuff gets up in that plenum uh other than removing the ceiling tiles taking them down and, and cleaning them off what other method is there for for actually getting that out of there
2: And you're right, Joe. That's done a lot where it's just hand vacuuming of of each one, and that helps to pick up a lot of the big stuff, but you're still missing the smaller stuff that's 10 microns and smaller that if it gets stirred up later on will float for a long time. Basically, you have to have enough uh, HEPA filtration equipment to put that area under negative, the area you're working on. If it's a large area, you'll have to zone it off, which takes a little bit of prep time, but when you actually start... Stirring that dust, basically, you create a dust storm up above there, but you've got the environment completely controlled and your exchange rates are very high. Uh, any dust you stir up immediately disappears into the uh, negative, the HEPA filtered negative air machines, and it still leaves some of the larger pieces, for instance, a piece of gravel about the size of a uh, marble, that won't be removed with the dust down, the dusting type procedure but that's not an IAQ
4: issue. Yeah, true, true. Now, I'm, are you talking about using like a vacuum collection equipment device from HVAC cleaning or just an air filtration device like we would use to create a negative pressure on, I don't know, a mold or asbestos or lead project?
2: Most of the time you'll need something from the uh, duct cleaning standpoint because you're going to have a fair amount of debris. And if you're only just running maybe a one- or two-inch uh merv type of a filter you'll load that so quickly you'll collapse it so it has to have some debris holding capability and some pretty good negative to it
4: that's what i suspect now let me get one more and i know we have to go to roundup but I'm, i'm enjoying this too much here cliff um i know you do this in new construction on rather you know large homes i guess small homes as well can you give listeners yes. some idea of how much dust, by weight or volume or whatever, you can pull out of the typical new construction residential property?
2: Actually, that's a good question, and I, I can't give you probably an exact number on that. It, it varies, but uh, I, can give you a, I can give you an example of one of the larger homes that we just cleaned up locally. The contractor had gone through and HEPA vacuumed the entire structure and was trying to convince the homeowner that it did not need any more. The homeowner was a prior customer, and we'd done this in their other home. We came in with the compressed air, and within two seconds it was so dusty in there you couldn't see across, and the contractor was amazed. I think we ended up with, I'm going to say we usually get somewhere around, um oh, it varies from job site to job site, but upwards of, um, Quarter of a pound to a half a pound, especially if you're looking at sheetrock dust uh, per square foot of uh, construction. Wow! I've seen filters so so heavy, I thought they were going to
4: rupture when we lifted them up out of the negative air machines. Wow, that's a lot of dust. That's interesting. We we've got to do a show on that, <coughs> just that subject someday, Lance. I'm I'm fascinated by that. I I've I this thought, you know, of going out and just telling people, look, um, we'll do this process for you, but I won't even charge you, but I, I want you to pay me by the pound of stuff I remove. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just uh, on a very, heavy. very quick note, uh, we've done that two other times. One of,
2: our, one of our customers did it with a mold cleanup uh, in Colorado, and instead of HEPA vacuuming, I know this is going to sound terrible, uh, Joe, but they did the same thing. They stir, purposely stirred up the mold, captured it at all, and passed their clearance tests um, very well. That's a very touchy subject. So I'm not going to go too deep into stirring mold up like that. But another area, and I know Cliff will appreciate this, a lot of jobs we've done what we call a soot down. When plastic burns, as you well know, Cliff, that soot is like fly ash. Right. And if you touch it, it smears. Many projects will clean it up with compressed air first and then come back in with the normal cleaning procedures.
4: You know, and I think actually, Lance, you're, you're, it is a little controversial, but at least at the end of projects now it's becoming more and more common for people to perform what they call air washing or some kind of dust right. on so, you know, the, the, uh, the, th-
1: the thing about controversy is the only people that think it's controversial is people that just sit in offices and don't do it. You know, when, when you're in the field, you have to find Good the point, easiest but... way to resolve the problem.
4: And, I love and, uh, it. Uh, that's why we like this show. Hey, let's go to the. Are you in a hurry to get out of here, Lance? I know we ran a little. You know, we're almost out of time. Not at to all. Get to the roundup. Okay. Glenn has questions. we
1: am on and I'm, I'm enjoying this, guys. Very, so oh, just no hang, problem. Hang in that's there.
4: What's nice about this show, we can stay as long as we want. Cliff. Yeah. Let's let's <laughs> let, okay.
1: Let's bring in or let's do roundup. Let's and,
4: do roundup. We'll bring in Doctor. Wow. Hang on. Glenn Hang on. Move him on,
1: hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw, high.
4: Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw, high. All right, let's bring, Glenn, I, I'm not sure what your schedule's like, so I want to bring you back first because I know you've got at least one, if not a couple quick questions, and then we'll bring Dr. Wow in for some commentary, and uh, Cliff and I will wrap it up, Glenn.
3: All right, I got uh, two questions, one uh, for fun and one more serious. For fun, Lance, what is the most interesting thing you have ever seen or found inside a
2: duct? <laughs> <laughs> Um
3: I ask that of every duck cleaner I ever talked to and I get the most amazing answers. So, so I know you got a good one.
2: This this came out of a project in uh, in Colorado. We were on our way back from a NADCA convention and stopped to work with one of our customers that had just bought robotics working on a pretty high level security building. Driving down through there and found above, well, basically drove upon a drug stash. Needles You name it, the person in the office had found an access hole, an access door, above their ceiling tile in that office, and they were using that as a stash to hide drugs. Amazing. That's probably the most interesting. I I mean, I've seen some things that are just beyond belief, gross-wise, but uh, (laughs) that's probably the most interesting thing because the the operator called me over and he said what is this and it was syringes and drug paraphernalia and drugs and needless to say the authorities were alerted on that project
1: so Needless to, to say, <laughs>
4: lucy you got some it's always an interesting the question to ask
3: because i've heard <laughs> answers ranging from you know piles of money that you know great grandpa left behind to uh, you know things that uh, my teenager was trying to hide from me and all kinds of things it's interesting one. I had a second question for you on a more serious note. Uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people about having their HVAC system cleaned, um, consumers or, or building owners, and they ask, well, why should I do this? You know, I'm, I'm not really seeing anything on the EPA website that it compels me that it's going to save me money or improve health. And I always use the analogy. I say, well, what do you do when you move your refrigerator against the wall for some reason? And you, what do you find? Oh, dust. The floor is, is filthy. It's disgusting. It's matted on. And what do you do? I clean it before I put the refrigerator back. Why? Because it's disgusting. Because it's in the room where I make my food. I wouldn't want it there. At which point I say, right, and you've got the same kind of stuff in your air ducts. It's disgusting. It's the air you breathe that passes over that. Okay. You should clean it. If for no other reason than it doesn't belong there, and it's gross. Right. But for some reason, that message doesn't really resonate with people um, unless you point it out to them in those kind of terms. Do you think it's just
2: the, the out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing, or why is there Absolutely. so much consumer reluctance on, on duct? Absolutely, and, and that's an excellent point, Glenn. I've seen this time after time after time. It is out-of-sight, out-of-mind, that they don't know what's up inside of there. And that's one advantage to having some form of of inspection equipment to be able to get in and prove what, what it looks like inside of there. A lot of our customers say that the robot is the best marketing tool they ever had because they'll go and do an inspection for free, and once they show what's inside of there, the owner can't ignore it any longer. One of the other big, big issues, and this is just my personal opinion, I have seen it time and time and time again, A lot of the cleaners that are not doing a proper job actually are are causing big, big problems because a a current uh, duct system is at steady state. All of the debris has pretty much settled where it's going to settle. The lighter stuff still travels on down through. If you increase the fan speed, you'd start knocking some loose. What happens is a lot of the improperly trained duct cleaners will get in there And all they really do is disturb it. They don't do proper source removal. And so I can't tell you how many commercial projects I've been on that the the facilities engineer has almost put their fists up. When you mentioned duct cleaning, they said, I will never in a million years have that done in my building again. Because last time I did it, I dealt with respiratory problems for the next six months.
4: Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Glenn, thanks again for joining us. And if you want, we'll come back to you in a moment. But let's let's get. Where's my music? Hey. We've got to bring our friend, our friend, Doctor Dietrich Wow in. Hello, Dieter. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? We're great. How are you, sir?
0: I'm fine. I listen to it all of it and it's certainly quite interesting and you know I like Lance somebody has a degree in mechanical engineering can't be all bad <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's usually my excuse I said I'm I have a master's and a, and a bachelor of science degree in mechanical engineering
2: that's excellent
0: But I, I made a bunch of uh, uh, notes over here I think the total cost and Lance is an engineer I'm an engineer we round off in round numbers, about $10,000 investment is not all bad. No. Know, considering that a, a, a lousy car costs 20000
4: Yes. Well, one um, one employee for, you know, uh, two, three months can end up costing you that in some cases. So.
0: Absolutely. The other thing is, and I worked with this for a long time, that Lance mentioned. And he, he said exactly what people said to me. 40 years ago and 30 years ago when I designed ventilation systems. Who gives a damn about a little leak? Who cares? Well, I do care because I designed my ventilation system in such a way that I got at a certain pickup of dust or whatever it was at a certain velocity. And if there are 10,000 leaks in there, it doesn't work. It's as simple as that. Um, The other thing that I like, that Glenn said, and I have been preaching that, and I have no data, not one single one, other than experience. When I increased the ventilation, that was what I was hired for. I was hired, and I said, look at the ventilation. I said, well, this is really not all that good enough. And I didn't count the employees. I didn't count the square footage. I looked at it and I increased it and miraculously the problem was solved. Uh, excellent idea. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, Lance also mentioned, I mean, in the old days, who cared about costs of, uh, of energy, whether it's uh, electricity or gas or something? Like nobody cared about the fuel mileage of a car for 50 years ago when gasoline was 25 cents a gallon. Um, I, and again, Lance, I'm just going through my notes here, said you've got to be very careful and you've got to know what you're doing when you are painting an air duct from the inside. You've got to know what you are applying and maybe you do it at a time when, quote, nobody else is around. Not to cheat, but if something were to come out, you got to watch out for that. The other thing Lance said, and I'm preaching that for 40 years, small particles. I don't give a damn whether there is something in the side of a baseball. That doesn't bother me. I can't inhale that. In fact, Lance said the size of a marble. Uh, That is fine. It's the stuff you don't see that hurts you, and that is, again, one of those things that a lot of people who don't know about it I'm not calling them dummies. There are a lot of things I don't know about brain surgery. And I'm not a dummy, but I sure as hell wouldn't go into that and say I can do it. But it's the small particles you don't see. Those are getting inhaled and deposited in the lungs. And Joe knows that. I yeah, i wrote my dissertation on that many uh, years ago. The other thing is what did you find in an air duct? What is the craziest thing? other than? Rats and mice and pigeons. <laughs> uh, a tire store where I get my tires done. They have a jar, a big glass jar with, you name it, it's in there. How the heck does a screwdriver get into a tire? <laughs> Every take out, they put that into that jar and says, "That's what we found in tire." <laughs>
4: wow, that's fascinating. Um,
0: Another thing, and Joe said that, and Lance said that also, even if it is not a direct health problem, garbage shouldn't be there. You take care of it. Nobody ever, to the best of my knowledge, got killed from a half-eaten hot dog that somebody threw out the window and it was on the street, or an, uh, an aluminum can, whatever is written on it. I don't think many people have gotten killed with it. Does that belong on the street? I don't think so. And uh, it, there's not a health issue, but I think there are a couple of things yeah, that 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 we we, we do that. And uh, Glenn reminded me that I have to clean under and behind my refrigerator.
4: <laughs> yeah, Dieter, that's bad. They, you know,
0: in a long time, and I have a very 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 good vacuum cleaner. Which costs about eight hundred bucks or something like that, and it will do a wonderful job. The only thing is, I have to throw it on and go behind and underneath the refrigerator, and the efficiency of my cooling system increases.
4: Not only that, that's but a that's that's a good place to locate, um, like. You know, to to learn over time what's been in that home. We've had a couple people mention that on the show before, you know, that if you're looking to investigate what type of microorganisms, et cetera, have been in a home, they may have been cleaned up in other places, but that's where they'll be.
0: In my case, I don't think it's really, I'm not that much concerned about microorganisms, but the horizontal surface on top of my refrigerator is a wonderful storage place, and it's. Uh, I have used it for many years. And periodically, some stuff falls down.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Needless
0: to say, I don't know what it is, but it's always a surprise if I pull it out. And actually, it's not all that bad, because it's on wheels and so on. So I will probably do this this weekend. (laughs) But I think uh, it's it's, it's quite interesting uh, on the topics on which we touch. And I was glad to see that uh, Lance I pointed out a couple of situations which on one hand are common sense and on the other
1: hand people ignore. And I shut up after that.
4: Peter, thank you as always for joining us. Cliff, anything you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I was just thinking about something, Lance. Uh, you know, it's not unusual for there to be uh, fire dampers, um, perhaps smoke detectors, uh, perhaps phone lines computer cables and stuff like that that are run in in dock work. Um, does the coating have any adverse effect on any of those things? Not at all, and that's an excellent point,
2: uh, uh, Cliff, in the fact that, again, you're doing it visually, so you will get a good feel of what you're dealing with during the cleaning. And yes, uh, there's many cases where the inline uh, smoke detectors, you need to remove those. You obviously don't want to paint over that. It would disable them, and it's its not something I maybe make it sound too easy, uh, but it you're, you're aware of all of that, and you don't just spray dampers. You don't spray the interior of VAV boxes. It's a very precise process that takes place, and I, I wanted to make one other note on that, too. I probably didn't describe it well enough. Uh, regarding the when you're painting and sealing on the inside, that section of ductwork is still under negative with HEPA, and the chemical that's being applied in there has the lowest VOCs in the industry.
1: Okay, gotcha.
4: Cool. Lance, one one final one, then we'll we'll let you add whatever you'd like. But I'd like to just uh, see if you can't. Point me in the direction where I can learn more about this whole dust down uh, process, etc. do you have any literature? I looked quickly at the website. I didn't notice anything specific or do you know of anybody else doing that? Do you plan on doing something with that? Where could I or listeners find more information about that process uh
2: it's not on the website um my dad does and through through his his company he has a cd put together i'm trying to think of okay. maybe what i need to do is get a copy of that to you it basically covers the procedure from step one to step and um i'm not sure the best way to disseminate that information i'd to love you. to see it. if
4: you get it out to me i'll be happy to if you if you don't mind we can put it on the website or we'll, we'll figure out something you know Okay. And at a minimum, I can use it in my classes to show people what the process is, and uh, I think that would okay. be very that would be very helpful. And do you do you like do you franchise this system? Do you are you thinking about that, or is that something that we don't we'll leave for another show?
2: Um, no, we don't franchise. Basically, it's it's not that uh, secret of a process. It can be done with a lot of the uh, duct cleaning tools today. Um, it's A lot of companies could start up with the existing equipment they have. A lot of companies that we train end up buying a lot of the big negative air machines uh, from us and the specialized whips to do the project. But no, no, it's pretty much open to the public. You know,
4: one of these days we have to get you and your dad on the show here and talk about this a little bit more and uh, maybe have a little father-son show where we bring in you know cliff can bring in his boy i'll bring in my boy we'll get you and your dad and maybe get the pemberton boys on here and a few others you know uh but listen before we go we always like to ask uh is there anything you would like to add and how can listeners get you know obviously give us your website and uh, if you want some contact information if listeners want to touch base with you
2: um yeah, basically the our website is www.LoydSystems, two l's two s's, and then plural. dot com, just like the company. And um, probably the only other thing I'd like to add is that, like I said, I the potential that I see coming up with this duct sealing because we've been doing. I forgot to add that we're we're doing some work with an army base out in the east coast, and uh, did a full energy study including the duct leakage. And I'll be presenting that paper at a government conference here at the end of the month. And they are validating that data, which is very, very important. The Department of Defense, depending upon what source you see, um, they manage anywhere from 84,000 to, I've seen as high as half a million buildings. Most of those are older, leaking, uh, perfect candidates for duct sealing. It, It is... It is an absolutely huge market, and not just because we have some of the equipment that does it. it. It's just that it's a it's a wonderful business opportunity for a lot of the companies to move into because it drives itself. It, you don't have to sell it; the
4: numbers sell it. Great, that's that's tremendous. Last parting advice for our listeners: uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for joining us, Lance. We appreciate it. and I know you've been busy as heck, and We appreciate you taking some time out to join us this week on IAQ Radio.
2: No problem. Thank you for the invite, and it's always a pleasure talking uh, with you and Cliff. Thanks again. Thank
4: you. All right, before we go, let's uh, make sure we also thank the Z-Man. Always a pleasure. Another wonderful week here. Glenn Fellman joining us for the IE Connections. What's news? Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wild. Dieter, I'll talk to you later this afternoon. Of course, Valerie Bender at the controls. Good job, Val. All right. And uh, Austin Stone Cold Novak for helping out. He's uh, guiding from behind there today, kind of making sure everything goes smoothly. But uh, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners out there, we're uh, we're working on a show for next week. I can't say for sure that we've got it lined up yet, but I know you'll love it. Please come back and join us again next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.
1: This has been another IAQ Radio production.
2: Call recording has been completed.